Welcome to the Inclusive Growth Show with Toby Milden. Future-proofing your business by creating a diverse workplace. Hello and thank you ever so much for tuning into the Inclusive Growth Show. I'm Toby Milden and today I'm joined by a brilliant guy, Andy Barrow. He's a triple Paralympian. Uh, he now works as uh, an access consultant and runs his own business. Andy, welcome to the show. Hi there. Thanks, Toby. Really pleased to be on. It's great to have you. Andy, can you just let us know a bit more about your Paralympic career and what led you to becoming an access consultant and setting up your own business? Yeah, sure. I think, you know, the common thread through my story is probably actually rugby. You know, growing up, I played a lot of sport, fascinated by team sports, and uh, my favourite sport was rugby. I did all the did all the daft jobs in sports. So I was uh, wicketkeeper at cricket. I played in golf for football, and I played in the front row at rugby. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, that came back to bite me when I was 17 years old. I sustained a spinal cord injury in a game of rugby, uh, which left me permanently paralysed from the chest down with limited use of my hands and arms. And from there, obviously, my, my life took a, a huge turn. Um, but I always think even in sort of your darkest moments, you can take positives. And one of those positives was finding a sport called wheelchair rugby. You may think I'm mad to want to get straight back into some form of rugby. But, you know, for me, it was about experiencing the camaraderie of a team again. So I started playing. I got good at wheelchair rugby. Uh, the long and short of it is um, it took me around the world. And I was lucky enough to represent my country and captain my country. I played in three Paralympic Games. Uh, retiring after the 2012 Games in London. Uh, and then I started working as a speaker. So I was speaking in schools, doing inspirational speeches for young people, um, speaking to corporates about teams, teamwork, performance and performance culture. And then I started speaking more widely, um, not only across the UK, but internationally and worked at a raft of international schools. So during my career in rugby and during my speaking career, I got to travel a lot, um, specifically within aviation. And so I kind of learned inside out the processes around assisted travel within that industry and had a fair amount of experiences as a world traveler of the, you know, the pitfalls you can get into uh, traveling with a disability, you know, whether it you and, go on. Yeah. You, you and I can probably swap a few war stories. Yeah. Um, traveling on planes, trains and buses in a wheelchair. Exactly. You do find yourself in some scrapes. And by virtue of that, I started doing some work with, you know, a, a, an access handler that worked out of a few of the UK and, airports further afield around the world, a um, handler called OCS. And then that kind of bridged over into the train industry. It, it's a funny story. I had, I, I had a disappointing experience with a, a train operating company. And I very much believe that any kind of, you know, and anything that goes wrong, any failure, any kind of pitfall, it's just a moment in time. And it's more how people deal with things um, that, that sort of give you that broader view on whether it was overall, you know, a bad or a good experience. So from that initial bad experience, I um, got in touch with the access team and essentially said to them, look, um, you know, I don't like how this was handled initially. I think, 
you know, mistakes happen. There you go. I think I can do some work with you. And that's how I kind of got into working in the rail industry along the same lines as the work I was doing in aviation. And that kind of brings us neatly up to the present, really. That's really cool. So, I mean, obviously, Southeastern is is one of your your current clients. Um, What what Mm. are you doing with them? So what we're doing at Southeastern, we look at all the processes that a customer goes through when they undertake a journey. And we look at all the processes from the staff inside and we make sure that we give our staff the best possible opportunity to give the customers the best service. But then I look behind that as well at the culture uh, behind assisted travel, because I believe you can have the best set of processes in the world, but if the staff don't understand the importance of what they do or see the greater purpose in what they do, then they're not really going to feel tied to or engaged to the processes or want to excel at what they do. So that really is a kind of an education piece that sits behind giving them that perfect set of processes to adhere to um, so that they can help everybody to the best of their ability and so that when issues crop up, they can resolve them in a timely, respectful, dignified manner. Yes, yeah, so I think you and I are basically singing from the same hymn sheet, so to speak, because um, I talk about in my book the, the importance of creating inclusive cultures. But then the, the central chapter of my book is, is called Colleague Experience and Design. And that's really much about the, the kind of the processes and the structures and the systems that employees travel through. Uh, and I, I talk about removing speed humps and roadblocks that prevent people from completing a journey um, or, or slow them down on a particular journey. What are some of the kind of inclusivity concepts and principles that you that you've uncovered in you know in the course of working with your clients, including Southeastern? Do you know, I, I think you know before we sort of hone in on inclusivity. In organisational culture as a whole, I think organisations don't train enough. That's coming from, uh, you know, an elite athlete angle. If you think about it, elite athletes, they, they train 99% of the time to compete for that major tournament, for, for, that, for that world event, that, you know, that Olympic Games, Paralympic Games. And so they spend their life doing the stuff behind the scenes for that one moment. Now, I'm aware that in business, we can't do that. That's not financially viable. But we seem to spend 99% of our time competing and only train 1% of the time. So I think businesses as a whole need to train more and understand that it's not a waste of time to get out and talk about what's happened to analyze you know, their processes and systems and, and spend time looking at how they can improve them and actually you know, put a nice package of you know review and debrief around those things so training more is one thing but with reference to sort of inclusive culture and inclusivity first I think you need to pull on people with lived experience and expertise the classic nothing about me without me piece that's that's really really important I think when you have those people, whether they're end users or whether they're consultants that come in and, and help your organization, you need to respectfully ask the questions you need to know the answers to and then listen to those answers. This all sounds really, really simple, but it's something we just don't do. There is this stigma about asking people, you know, certainly around disabilities, about, you know, 
what impairment they have and how it impacts their use of that particular service that we're trying to find out more about. You know, it's not prying into somebody's private life. Anyone has the right to turn around and say, I'm not comfortable talking to you about that. You know, fair enough. That's where the respectfully asked the question piece comes into it. But you do have to ask those questions. You do have to demystify, destigmatize disability. So I think that's important. And I think the third thing is really to leverage the internal experience that you already have in your organization. You know, that that's that's the employees, you know, again, with their permission and respectfully, that you don't know. They may have a sibling or a partner with a disability. They may have lived experience of, of bringing up, a, you know, a son or a daughter with a disability or any other area of minority. Leverage the expertise that are already within your company Yeah, is what I'd say. Yeah. That, that, I mean, they're all really good points. And I, I really liked your earlier point, actually, about how, as a par- Paralympian, you're training 99% of your time for that 1% competition of that big moment. And in business, we're not we're not effectively practicing or rehearsing enough, are we? It's like, and, and the work that you do with people that work on the railways or, or provide assistance in airports, um, you know, you, you're working with people who work with disabled customers or passengers, helping them get to and from the train, helping them get on and off the train in a safe manner. And actually, I don't think a lot of practice goes on. I've spent a lot of my time traveling on trains and I've met some, I've had some kind of horrific moments where, you know, I was on one train where the train manager came up to me and he said, "Um, can I see your disabled rail card? And I said, actually, I'm sorry, I don't have it on me. And he said, well, I need evidence that you're disabled. And I was Mm -hmm. like, but I'm sat in a, in a wheelchair that's 144 kilograms and costs 6,000 pounds. <laughs> and then he said to me, but anybody could go out and buy a wheelchair. And I'm like, what? Somebody would spend 6,000 pounds to get a 33% discount on a railway ticket. I don't think so. <laughs> Sounds like an awfully elaborate fancy dress costume, Toby. I know. But I just think... You know, he, he, I, I just think if he had more training, you know, that, that might have helped a bit. But it's no, absolutely just, just teach, just teaching people to see the, you know, to see the wood for the trees with things like that to actually, you know, it, when, when you bring it all back, you have somebody in front of you who is asking for help. Mm. And even through all the training you've had, you know, there's this temptation that we can, you know, I want to see more training, but I don't want people trained to death in such a rigid framework that they struggle to get out of it and use their own common sense, you know, and actually just look at somebody and think, why it's obvious this guy's disabled. Mm. Come on, you know, just, just, just use your, use your common sense. I think maybe reviewing and doing a retrospective is quite happy, uh, quite helpful Mm. because, you know, when I, before I got into diversity and inclusion, I I was in software development and the, the software engineering team, um, and I would work in sprints of, you know, three or four weeks at a time. But at the end of each sprint, we would get together as a team and we would go, okay, so what went well? What didn't go so well? And how are we going to improve things for the next sprint? And I, I'm I'm making a big assumption here, but I'm assuming that when you and your teammates played a game of rugby, you did a similar kind of team team review about how the game went and how you would improve your game the next time round. 
Absolutely. When you come from sport, you know, it's, you know, this is all based around communication, all based around feedback. And when, when you've, you've played sport, you know, all your, all your life or played sport for a living, feedback is immediate. You know, when you train, you know how your body feels, you know how well you did. As you get more experienced, you get a better idea of your perceived performance versus your actual performance. Um, your coach will let you know how well you did. Your teammates will let you know how well you did. You'll review your fitness program with your S&C coaches. And it's when you get into business, that feedback is moves so much more slowly in comparison. And I'm aware, again, I say we can't have that ratio that we do in sport, but we can move some of the way there. And what you did with the software company sounds perfect. You know, you do your section of work. You don't stop every single minute of every single day. Oh, was this sentence I wrote correct? Or you get that kind of option paralysis. You never get anything done. But you say, right, like you say, we're going to do a week or a month's work. Then we're going to talk about it. And it's companies are often reticent to spend that money on having that review session and more importantly, debriefing that review session properly, you know, with what you said, with the what went well, even better is even better if what we're going to do next time. And if you don't do that, it's just false economy. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm just conscious that the person listening to this episode may not work on the railways. They may not be uh, a Paralympian either mm-hmm. um, and have got that sporting background uh, like yourself. But the work that you have been doing in sport and with your clients, I mean, what, what, are, some of the, what are some of the common concepts or principles that, that the person listening to this interview could apply in their own organization, regardless of what industry they're in? I think putting some kind of training structure into what you do. And the thing is you must start this in a, in a kind of a light touch fashion. You know, if you're going to start a training structure, you, you know, it's got to be, okay, we're going to, we're going to stick a, make a line in the sand. We're going to have a review session and we're going to find out what we need. And then we're going to gradually hone that. I think you have to start somewhere. I don't think you can just implement a world beating training systems to your organization from nothing. You know, incremental changes are really important. It's spoken about a lot in sport, marginal gain. The idea of making a tiny change. What can I do to make my organization 1% better? You know, I think a lot of the principles of engagement setting aside uh, a purpose for your organization. You know, when, when we spoke about rail, for example, we spoke about getting people on and off the train. You know, we didn't think about why, Mm. you know, why are you getting on and off the train? This could be, you know, crucially important. You know, several of the big stations I work in in London are extremely close to major hospitals. Mm. So you're not just getting on a train. You're taking your, you may be taking your son and daughter to an appointment with a cancer specialist. You know, when you start thinking about, you know, you may be going to see, you know, your grandma for her 90th birthday. You know, these are things that are far more kind of visceral and important than just getting on and off of a train. So establishing purpose, assigning roles properly and having integrity and accountability for those roles. Do the things you say you're going to do. And, you know, as employees, creating a space where employees feel like they can be heard. And for managers, making sure that managers are seen. You yeah. know, making sure that they put themselves out there and are accountable. Because when you do that, you start getting more honesty into your organization 
and slowly you drive down the whole idea of covering up failure and blame culture. One of the things we must learn to do is um, eradicate the fear of failure because we only learn through making mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. I really love what you're saying because it, it applies so neatly to what I talk about in diversity and inclusion. So you were talking about the why, you know, what it, somebody's not just getting off on and off a train, that there's a reason behind it. And I talk to my clients about why diversity and inclusion is important to them. I want to get my clients to think beyond the kind of the normal canned responses that I often hear saying, well, businesses that are more diverse are profitable because that's what the three McKinsey reports have now evidenced. And they go, yes, that's true. Diverse organizations do outperform homogenous organizations. But why is it important to you and your business um, and your customers that you're there to serve? Let's make it personal for your organization. And let's not, let's not rely on those kind of canned responses that we often hear. Um, but also what you're saying about those leaders being out up front, leading by example, acting as role models. Again, we need leaders to be to be leading in an inclusive way as well and demonstrating how to do that and setting the example, setting the tone for the organization. Absolutely. You know, I think it's a key consideration. I think it's a key consideration as we go forward into the future. And people have a greater aspiration for what they want their work experience to be. You know, the, the nine to five is is kind of dead or dying. You know, there's that much more accountability in work. You're asked to carry a phone with you and field, you know, emails late at night. And, you know, so, so we're, we're getting a situation where young employees are wanting you know, that classic interview question of, you know, what do you want to know from me? Well, do you know what I want to know from you? I want to know what your policy is on inclusion. I want to know what your policy is on charitable giving and CSR. I want to know if there's any um, organisations, you know, within your organisation where I can socialise because my work is far more than just pick it up and put it down now. And I need to, I want to be living my principles. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Andy, this is, of course, the Inclusive Growth Show, and I'm interested in hearing what inclusive growth means for you and the clients that you work with. I think for me, you know, it, I, I might pinch your thing a bit, actually, because I, I wrote down no barriers. So it, uh, mm -hmm. removing those speed bumps, no barriers, no physical barriers, no cultural barriers. And we're going to come back to the old sort of equity, equality thing, you know, treating everyone individually in order to engender an equal opportunity for all. But I think beyond that, it's about people having understanding. Again, I'm probably going to hark back to a team environment. The more you understand the people you work with, the closer you become as a, as a team because you start understanding why people do what they do, what's important to them, what their motivators are, and it brings you closer than just simple work colleagues. So for me, inclusive growth encompasses all of that. You know, it encompasses bringing people together so that we're getting to a situation where our work is more of a vocation than just a chore. Yeah, and... and if we think back to your, your Paralympian days, you know, basically working together as a whole team inclusively gets you medals. Yep, it does. That's the, 
that's the end result. You know, we always used to talk about performance and result, and we talked about result being byproduct of performance. So mm. you focus on the culture and how you're going to do things, you, your net results that are going to happen as a consequence of that are going to be that hiking engagement, that hiking productivity, that um, you know that that overall increased level of well-being around the organisation, and that general glow that we associate with uh, organisations that that are performing well. So when you were when you were captain of the the rugby team, what is one thing that you did as captain to to bring the team together to to get really great results? We met a lot. You know, so I guess you could call that trend, but we met to discuss the day, discuss the week, discuss what had happened, you know, and I acted as a conduit between my team members and the management structure. So I could pass on, I could let people have their gripes and moans, of which there were plenty. I could pass, so, so they felt heard. I could pass on the stuff that was useful um, and make sure that I reported back on you know the results of that another thing I did with my teams I, I set about making sure that everyone knew each other a bit better you know I asked people to do sort of one-to-one show and tell presentations on subjects that I knew that were dear to them but I didn't necessarily think that their teammates may know about so they all knew and understood each other a bit better and they crossed from very arbitrary subjects into you know quite in-depth big meaty subjects things like you know the culture people were raised in and you know their general outlook sort of politics and stuff like that i'm not necessarily recommending that for every organization because to my point of incremental improvement if you go in tomorrow and you've never had any engagement with your fellow employees and all of a sudden we're talking about politics and race and everything else people might not necessarily be be ready for that but just to work towards it you know, with something more light touch, hobbies, interests, you know, maybe family if people are happy with it. The caveat to all this is it has to be with permission and it has to be with trust because otherwise people will be suspicious of what you're trying to do and they'll see these kind of exercises as a punishment rather than a genuine opportunity to grow. Excellent. Well, Andy, thank you ever so much for joining me on the show today. Um, so if the person listening to this interview wants to get hold of you, how's the best way of doing that? Uh, the best way is by going directly to my website, which is www.andybarrow.co.uk. And if you look in the news section, you'll get a little flavour of what I'm up to on a sort of week to week, month to month basis. If you want to contact me directly, all my details are on there, but you can email on Andy at andybarrow.co.uk. Brilliant. Thanks ever so much, Andy, for joining me today. Um, And thank you for tuning in and listening to my interview with Andy today. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Uh, Please do tune in on the next episode of the Inclusive Grow Show. Until then, take care and I'll see you next time. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to the Inclusive Growth Show. For further information and resources from Toby and his team, head on over to our website at milden.co.uk.